All right, as we turn to God's Word tonight, let's start out. We're going to go several places, and several are printed on your page, but let's start in John chapter 15. So, use John 15 as uh, an introduction, and then if you did not pick up one of these half sheets of paper uh, that's on that back table, if you want to go grab one or send someone else to grab one for you, or raise your hand, and Susan will bring you one. So uh, we'll have a delivery uh, lady in the back, however that works, but can can kind of follow along. So yeah, John 15, we'll read some of that here in just a minute. Here's where we are in, in the process of our Wednesday night series for the fall. We've been talking about the authority of Scripture in light of a skeptical world. What does it mean to count God's word as our authority to say that it's true um, when you live in a world that's so skeptical of any authority, but especially religious authority? So we've picked up, we've used David Platt's material from Secret Church back in the spring. You can go access any of those videos or material that you'd be interested in. So we've used that pattern. You can see the first six weeks listed there. Is the Bible divine? Is it inspired? Did it come from God through humans uh, so that it's able to be received as true, week three? If that's true, is it sufficient? Do we need the Bible plus other things, or is God's Word sufficient for those things that we need? Uh, Is it clear? Can you understand it? And is it good? Uh, Is it a good Word from God that can can be trusted? So, we've taken those ideas for the first six weeks. And then for the next three weeks, tonight we're going to say in light of all those things, if the Bible is, if all of those things are the case, then how should it impact our lives? Will we meditate on it? We memorize it? We hear preaching? We hear teaching? We ourselves are involved in proclaiming and teaching God's Word? That's one of the ways we respond to it. Next week we're going to do a little bit more historical work, just talking about how the Bible came together, do a little bit of history of the Bible and and how we're able to know that what we've received as Scripture now is God's Word, that you hear stories every Christmas and Easter, you know, somebody puts out a new story about how the Bible is not trustworthy, it's not true, and so next week we'll deal with some of that, and then finally on the last week we'll talk about if the Bible is sufficient, why do we have things like creeds and confessions and those type of things? So what's the role of, of Scripture? But tonight we're focused on this idea of meditating, memorizing, preaching, teaching. If God's Word is true, we should be doing these things. So let's start in John 15. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified 
that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you, can, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we're going to stop right there with that, uh, those verses from John 15. Thinking about this idea of meditating, thinking about this idea of the impact that God's Word has in, in our lives, you hear this idea of abiding Christ, and it sounds like uh, a little bit like abstract religious language. It sounds good. It sounds a little bit mystical. What's it talking about? Well, you find very quickly that abiding in Christ means abiding in the word of Christ that, that he's given to us. And so before we make abiding Christ super complicated, don't miss the connection between abiding in Christ and his emphasis here on the words that has been given to us. Uh, so you go back to verse 3. What's one of the things that happens because of the word that was spoken? You're clean. Uh, that idea that the word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation, is able to purify, is able to not only save but sanctify his people. And so abiding in Christ means we're made clean, not because of what we do, because the work of his word, we're washed by him, we're washed by his word. You go down to verse 5 and it talks about whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. How are we connected to him so we can bear fruit? What's well, the work of God's Spirit through the Word of God? As we read God's Word and it gets into our lives through God's Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all those things that don't normally characterize our lives, uh, begin to take over, begin to transform us. Uh, you go down to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What's one of the ways that Christ has loved us? Through giving of himself who is the Word. He is the Word of God. And so as we have God's Word, it's a, you've probably heard, and we don't use this language a whole lot anymore, but you may have heard the Bible described as a love letter or an expression of love. Sometimes that feels a little uh, too romantic, but right here you get the idea that as Christ has loved us, one of the ways he has loved us is giving us his commands. And so in that sense, it is an expression of God's love. It's an expression of what we talked about, the covenant love, that mercy that God shows us as he gives us his word. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. When someone says, I'm really struggling, I don't have a lot of joy in life, John 15 says that one of the ways that God's joy is at work in, in us is when God's word is in us. Um, if we're lacking joy, it might, now there's a whole lot of things that could be going on there, but one of the reasons that joy might not be there is because God's word is not present in our life, that God's word is meant to bring joy. And so all of these things mean I need to have God's word in my life because all these things happen as a result of that. What are we called to do when God's word gets in our life? One of the things we do is we meditate on it. If you turn your page over to the top, you see Joshua 1.8. Now I know that everyone has worked really hard this week memorizing Joshua 1.8 based, uh, based on Sunday morning that you've, you've been memorizing. If you need a little bit of pressure to, uh, to memorize Joshua 1.8-9, through 9, 
The second grade Sunday school class is memorizing Joshua 1, 8 through 9 together. And so uh, if they're able to do it, uh, then I know we can do it as well with them. But uh, they came up and told me that they were working on it as a class in Sunday school. But this idea that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Does anybody have... uh, and this might be the person sitting next to you, so be careful, but um, somebody knows someone that when they are supposed to be reading quietly, they actually speak the words out loud or mutter the words as they go. Um, Some people's idea of quiet reading isn't particularly quiet. They're speaking the words, like they're muttering or murmuring as they go. The word for meditate comes from that background, that you're saying the words quietly. You're speaking them as, as you go. And so as you do that, not only is it coming out of your mouth, but you're hearing it in your ears. And what we speak and what we hear allows us to hold on to it. It gets us in. It gets it into our lives. Someone told me one time that things are reinforced and they're clarified when they come out of our mouth or through the fingertips. Uh, the two ways that we learn things, clarify things, the way it was told to me is ideas untangle themselves over the lips and through the fingertips. Kind of rhymey, works out, goes together. So that's the way I learned it. Things untangle themselves over the lips and through the fingertips. When you speak something or write something, this fuzzy idea that was running around in your head is all of a sudden clarified. Uh, if you're trying to meditate on God's Word, It's okay to say it in your mind. You know, sometimes we're just running over it silently in our mind. But if we really want to drive it deep in our hearts and we really want to clarify it and and have it begin to set up in our lives, one of the ways you you do that is you either speak it out loud, muttering it to yourself or just literally speaking it out loud, or you write it. Because the more you speak it and the more you write it, the more it's going to reinforce itself uh, in, in your mind. So... Ideas untangle themselves over the lips and through the fingertips. That might be the only thing you remember, but it, it is helpful here. So when we talk about meditation, let's go back to the front of the page just for a minute. We talk about meditating. It always brings up the question, and we've addressed this before, so it won't take a long time. It always brings up the question of what does it look like for Christians to participate in something like yoga or Eastern meditation? Um, well, most of us should not be participating in yoga anyway, and it has nothing to do with the spiritual side of it. it just, it's just the reality that we probably shouldn't be in a yoga class. Uh, um, my, my family, I come from a long line of people that are not particularly flexible. Um, so Amanda says, you don't need to be doing that, so I don't have to worry about it. But people ask, like, Jim is going to be teaching a yoga class, if you didn't know it. Uh, he's going to be. That's our, new, that's our new missions outreach is... Uh, that's not true at all. Don't spread that rumor, so uh, don't tell anybody that. Once, un- once seen, never unseen on that. So, uh, um, Now, this idea of, of meditation. Eastern meditation, yoga, a lot of times, what is the goal of, of meditation usually from that perspective? It's an emptying of the mind. Yeah, it's a clearing out. Um, what's the goal of meditation when you see it in Scripture? You're filling, your, yeah, you're, you're filling yourself. You're, or you're, the only sense of meditation in Scripture that would connect is 
you are trying to flush out certain things, but you're meditating on something. You're, you're, you've got something that you're trying to put in there and focus on. So it's not a meditating where I'm trying to empty my mind. It's where I'm trying to put something into my mind and begins to shape our worldview, begins to shape how we think about things. And so, you know, should a Christian participate in yoga, meditation? It's one of the things I think you have to be cautious of. You have to be aware of what you're getting into if you're going to go down that road. There's probably a lot of other forms of exercise that would be just as good that aren't tied up in a particular worldview. Um, But whatever the case, just know that Eastern meditation is designed to empty the mind. Meditation in Scripture is designed to fill the mind, particularly with, with the Word of God. We always have to think about relating the physical and spiritual. Sometimes we're too quick to say, well, that's just physical, but it doesn't apply to the spiritual. No, the way God has set us up is body, soul, spirit are all wrapped up. We don't say, well, that's the, spirit, that's the physical side, and it doesn't impact the spiritual. It's meant to go together. The, the things we think about God impact what we do with our bodies. It's all wrapped up, all wrapped up together. Actions are related to beliefs. The things that I do show what I believe, what's happening in in my mind. I've listed there several verses about meditating. If you turn your paper over on the back, um, you can can see some of these that that we've written out. Psalm chapter 1, it's the psalm that starts with blessed is the man, and then it lists the three things that shouldn't happen, that you're not walking in the council or sitting in the seat or standing in the way of sinners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Don't miss the connection between this and John 15, 11 that we saw earlier, that Christ's joy would be in us through the word of God. Here, how do you delight? You delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's a continuous idea. These ideas, uh, these things come a lot of times about day and night, the fact that it happens continuously. What they're getting at is the I when Paul will say things like pray continually or give thanks constantly or rejoice without end, we know that it doesn't mean that your head is bowed, your eyes are closed continually all the time, but it's, it's constantly with you. It's constantly there. There's never a set-apart time that you say, this is my Bible and prayer time, and then everything else is unrelated. That's the danger. It's if, okay, this is when I'll do my Bible time, and then it won't go with me. It goes with you all the time. You're always thinking about it. It's always rolling around. Psalm 19.14, this is a verse that I have to repeat to myself constantly, but uh, Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Once again, you have a connection between words that are spoken and meditations of the heart. Uh, Jesus in the (laughs) New Testament says that really, what strikes you is almost like a mean thing. We say something dumb, and we want to say, oh, man, I don't know where that came from. Oh, Jesus does. It came from your heart. Uh, The words that come out of your mouth came from the inside. We want to pretend like, oh, man, I could have never said something like that. Oh, no. You know right where it came from. And so Psalm 1914 says, the words of my mouth have to be connected to the meditations of my heart. And so what I'm meditating on, what I'm thinking about what's going on, is what's going to impact what comes comes out of my mouth. Psalm 63 uh my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. 
when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. There's a lot of references in Scripture to thinking about God's Word at night. You know, we associate night with, with sleeping, um, but this idea that it would constantly be with me, that I would wake up and God's Word would be right there on, on my mind. Psalm seventy-seven twelve, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Ponder is another way. It kind of gives us another way to think about it. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? Then verse 11, by guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Then look down one more, one more verse there, and we'll turn it back over. Colossians 3, 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. All those scriptures have to do with this idea of meditating. What am I thinking about? What's going on in, in my heart, in my mind? If you turn back over to the other side, under meditating, point D is that meditation— what we think about, what we ponder, what we write, what we say, it impacts our attitude and actions more than we realize. Um, you might be surprised to know this, but I've rarely, if ever, lost an argument with someone in my head. Uh, so you, uh, so you're, you're arguing with somebody, and you're, you're, you're working out in your mind what the conversation would be like, if and when you confront person X about situation Y, and so you're running over your head, and it is airtight, the argument in your mind, and you're playing it over, and you're thinking about it, and before you realize it, you start to, in your heart, become superior to that person, even growing more angry, more bitter about the situation. You replay it again. You insert, and I say you as if I don't, I'm telling you what I do, what we have to be so careful is when we meditate on those situations, we start to put words into somebody's mouth that they've never said, and we start to put intentions into their heart that we don't know that they necessarily have. But in your mind, you're creating a scenario, and you're meditating on that, and it's going over and over. And what happens? Perception becomes reality. <laughs> we create a situation, we meditate on it, we begin to think about it, and before we know it, we have imposed that perception about a person or a situation onto it, whether it's real or not. The things we meditate on, the things we think about, shape our attitudes and actions. Uh, sometimes I'll be going through the day and I feel like, man, it's a crummy day. Well, back up. What have you thought about? Well, all your thoughts have been pretty negative. I want to blame everything else on why my day's been crummy. Part of it might just be because the things I've thought about, the things I've meditated on have all been pretty negative. Um, and before you know it, you feel negative. You impose that on people around you and it, it just becomes this vicious cycle. Uh, meditation, what you think about, always has a compounding effect. Uh, the more you think on the things of the Lord, the more you think on the things of his kingdom, think on his word, the more that begins to show up in your life. Vice versa, the less you think and the more you get these negative things wrapped up, the worse it becomes. These things always are designed to have a, a compounding effect. Which brings us to this idea of prayer, uh, that meditation is closely connected to prayer that it, the things that we're meditating on, the things that we're thinking about, are going to drive our prayers. They're going to drive the things that we're bringing before the Lord, um, that meditation and prayer are always meant, meant to work together. So that's kind of the foundation, is God, if I believe these things about your word, that it's true, that it's sufficient, that it's good, let me meditate on it. Let me let it roll over in my lips. Let it 
frame everything in my mind. Let me write it. Let me just put it in front of me at all times. What's a really tangible way you do this? Well, you memorize God's Word. Um, that's number two there on, on your notes. So this idea of memorizing that, you turn it over to the back really quick. Colossians 3.16, it's the second from the bottom down there. But uh, Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, Psalm 119, we've already looked at. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That as you meditate, what you find out quickly is you begin to memorize it, even though you don't realize what's happening at the time. You're just thinking about God's word. It's in front of you. You're writing it. You're speaking it. And then it begins to set itself up uh, in your heart. Has anyone in here been part of the Navigator's ministry? Is anybody involved with Navigator. Yeah, Dr. Harvey, you've done that. Rodney, you've done some of that. Have you been a part of uh, any ministries? Anybody else been a part of ministries that were big on scripture memory? Uh, what did you do? Same material. Yeah, doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody else? I thought somebody else raised their hand. Oh. So there's different, different programs out there. Navigators have been well-known for a long time about memorizing. Uh, a lot of times you'll end up with these little index cards that you, you carry around, and you're constantly going through those and putting God's Word. And you probably think, oh, man, I, could, I just couldn't do that. Well, we know that Scripture memory, like a lot of things, just it has to do with what we give our time to, <laughs> what we give our, give our attention to. And I bet you'd be shocked at how many verses you already have memorized that you just don't realize it. Um, you know, you start in the book of Genesis. Does anybody have a verse memorized in the book of Genesis? Okay, we probably do. Yeah, yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there you go. You got that. Does anybody have a verse memorized in the book of Exodus? Or maybe a portion of a First memorized in the book of Exodus. Yeah, you probably get at least about one of the Ten Commandments, and then you just know it happened somewhere around chapter 20, and you make up the rest from, from there. Exodus 20, some verse, do not murder. Hey, there you go. You've got a verse memorized. Uh, God, in, in Exodus 3.14, reveals himself as I am who I am. You already know that, you know, so you've got that. Anybody have a verse memorized in Leviticus? Oh, you do. You just don't know it. God says, be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19. You, you already knew that one. Uh, how about numbers? Numbers is a little trickier. Just pick a random name from the Old Testament. No, you, you probably do. Uh, numbers chapter 6. 22 to 24, you've got the priestly blessing. Uh, somebody know the priestly blessing there? May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace, cause his countenance to fall upon you. If we begin to come to you there. Deuteronomy. Yeah, good. So you have Shema there from, from Deuteronomy 6. That would come to you pretty quickly. And you could pick up another Ten Commandment and just throw that in there for Deuteronomy and you've got another, another verse memorized. Anybody have a verse memorized from the book of Joshua? 
You better. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You better. You know, you start to go along and you're like, wow, you know, I actually know more verses than, than I realize. It begins, to, it begins to build up. So this idea of memorizing, a couple of benefits, it ties God's word directly to our sanctification to know that I've, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that God would bring these things back in, in front of you. It transforms our thinking. When you're trying to memorize a verse during the day, you constantly have something to go back to. You constantly have a point of reference that you know is going to take you back in the right direction. Once again, shapes our attitudes and actions. And having Scripture mem- memorized benefits others. When you're in a situation to share the gospel, having something as simple as John 3.16 to say you can speak to them about the Word of God but as you're memorizing Scripture, you'll find it's amazing. Things will just come in, in situations that you can share. And also for comfort and, and counseling, that you can share a Scripture. And this is usually just as simple as, hey, I was in a situation like that, and, and God used a particular verse. Listening to TJ sing and, and talk about their mom earlier, the song had a reference from Psalm 46, uh, about the Lord being our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And even though the mountains would quake and fall into the heart of the sea and the waters would foam and the mountains would quake with their surging, uh, that type of language is in that psalm, and it comes back to you when you hear that because of the comfort that comes from God being our refuge and strength. A couple of resources. If you don't have... uh, if you haven't been a part of the Navigators and you're curious about how do I get started with Scripture memory, what do I do... Uh, a couple of options. There's a website called donotdepart.com. Fair warning, guys. It's framed, marketed more to a, a female audience. When you get to the website, it's not going to scream manly. Um, but, but it's a great resource for, for being able to memorize Scripture. Any ladies in here? Have you guys used Do Not Depart? Yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a pretty interesting resource. Uh, there's something called Fighter Verses from Desiring God Ministries. Uh, you, can, you can get the app on your phone that will help you. You can reference, it'll just send you a, a new verse, or you can go through and, and memorize scripture. Uh, the guy, Andy Davis, who's pastor at First Baptist Church Durham, North, North Carolina, he has some amazing resources about scripture memory. Uh, Andy really stresses the value And this is a little bit anti, he's kind of going against navigators just a little bit, but not too much. He really stresses memorizing extended chunks of Scripture as opposed to individual topical verses. Um, And so he'll say, you know, even to the point of memorizing entire books, you're like, ooh, that's huge. Well, there's a process that he teaches about. And so if you're you're curious about some of that, um, you can find a lot of Andy's uh, material out there. Whatever it is, though, just keeping God's Word on your mind. And if you need a place to start, we're trying to do that on Sunday morning. And so there's going to be things that you can reference, other scriptures we're going to look at going through Joshua and other things we're going to memorize. But we just realize that it shapes our hearts and minds. I know personally, all I can do is speak from a personal perspective. But when I'm in the process of memorizing scripture, when I'm in the habit of that, it's amazing how that shapes your thinking during the day. Vice versa, if I don't have anything to think about during the day, I randomly pull my phone out and scroll through the dumpster fire known as social media. And 
you're like, man, I could either be thinking about Scripture or I could be doing this. And this is probably, you know, one's going to be a lot more valuable than, than the other if I've got something to set my mind on. Okay, so if we believe Scripture is good and true and uh, comes from God, the next thing, it should impact our church. It should impact preaching. Os Guinness has a quote where he says, If the church becomes detached from Jesus Christ and his word, it cannot grow however active and successful it may seem to be. Paul's very clear. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That when we believe that God's word is sufficient to save and to make us holy, then we need to be in a situation where we're hearing the preaching of God's word. What is preaching? How does it, how does it function? Tony Morita, who was one of my professors at a seminary and a, a guy I've gotten to know a little bit, he talks about a couple of words that describe preaching. Preaching is exposition. Exposition means that it's the preacher's job to expose. You can see the word expose in there. It's the preacher's job to expose the text. If the preacher ever starts to go down a road where you get the feeling it's his opinion, or worse yet, you hear a lot of, wow, you've never heard this before, followed by some explanation of Scripture. Sometimes in preaching, you're going to be exposed to something that you're like, I haven't thought of that before, or I hadn't seen that before. That's different than no one's ever seen this before, or no one's ever heard of this before. That's, that's a red flag. Exposing Scripture, expositional preaching, just means that you're re-speaking God's Word, that you're trying to most clearly explain this is the Word of God and expose it for the people. And so, we, we seek to do that. We seek to say, when we're going to come together, we're going to come together around the Word of God, just exposing it. I hope um, that, generally speaking, when you hear preaching here at Emmaus or you go other places, there should be a little part of you, other than standing on stage, and I realize that, and other having the time to commit, you should have a little bit of a feeling of, I could have come up with that, or I could have done that, or better yet, I see where he got that. That's the idea of exposing, where it's unfolding. You're like, oh yeah, I see that. Um, it shouldn't be super earth-shattering because that means you're coming up with something entirely, entirely different, and that's not healthy. So you expose the Scripture. You exhort the people to do something. There should be a challenge when God's Word is preached, that you're being exhorted, encouraged to do something. Evangelism, in some way, the gospel is proclaimed. There's good news that comes from the sermon. It's not just do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but at the core of it, there's a gospel element. And exaltation, because Tony needed another E, is the idea of worship, that, that we gather to worship when the word is preached. That worship's not, and we talk about this a hundred times, but we need the reminder, that worship's not just when the music happens. Uh, that worship is happening around the preaching uh, of God's word. So those words work really well. They all start with E, but they make sense. God's word's exposed. You're challenged to do something. The gospel's proclaimed, and your heart is driven to worship based on what you hear. That that's, that's the elements that make up scriptural preaching. So how to listen to preaching? This is fun. I get to tell you how to, uh, how to listen to me. Um, you can listen however you want. I can't, I can't force you to do that. But uh, as much as possible, and I've spent a lot of time sitting where, where you sit as well to know some of what I'm going to say here is idealistic. 
there are times that you come in and life just isn't working. Or you just came from a hard moment with your family <laughs> or a hard situation, and so you're just glad that you made it that morning uh, to the worship service. But ideally, what happens? We want to move from passive to active listening. Uh, we're not just consuming. Uh, that you, as you hear God's Word preached, are in the process of studying God's Word simultaneously. You're checking things. You're looking at other places in your Bible. You're connecting the dots. You're actively engaged. Coming to gathered worship is not a passive activity. Um, it, it's not just like you're watching uh, something on TV. You're actively involved with me. And so, like I said, I know there's times that it's been a long night or there's things going on in your life or I just stink that morning or you know whatever the case might be. Uh, but active listening will really open your heart to, to the, thing, the things of the Lord. It's fun to look out and see some of our teenagers down there taking notes and they're making connections and they're looking at things. Uh, it encourages me, but it also says that they're engaging with what, with what they're hearing at that point. So um, integrate preaching with the rest of your life in Bible study. This is a little bit tricky and, and maybe a little bit different than even how you were raised, but as much as possible, we want, when we gather for worship, the word of God that's proclaimed and preached at that point to, to shape our church and, and to shape our lives. And so it's not just a standalone portion of your week, but it's something that can guide you throughout the week. We're, we're trying to provide more opportunities for our Sunday school classes and small groups to integrate the sermon with what they do and, and their small group. Um, that you're, you're continuing to think about the sermon, not because the sermon was that great. Uh, most of the time, preaching's not a home run. Like, you're just trying to bunt and get on first base. You're not even, it's, it's not a home run, but it's something that can take you throughout the week. It's something that you continue to think about. So small group allows you to do that. We're trying to put resources in your hands so you can go home and think about the text after you leave. It's, it's okay if you go to Sunday school and you study one thing, you show up at the sermon and you study something else, you go to a Sunday night group and you study another thing, you go to Wednesday night and you study another thing, you go to another Bible study during the week and you study another thing, that's okay because you're being exposed to a lot of God's Word. What happens, though, is it becomes so jumping around that you never have a chance to kind of just let it sit on you during the week. You never have a chance to be able to put the pieces together. And so I'm not saying that the method of having five different Bible studies during the week is bad. I do think there's some value, though, in being able to integrate God's Word in gathered worship with other things that happen throughout the week. And so we're exploring what that looks like in Emmaus. How do we, how do we live that out uh, as a church? What's the values? What's the pros and cons of that? Um, but anyway, that's, I think there's value. It also plays into this idea of how do I listen to, to other, other sermons? It's good to listen to other preaching, but when you're listening to other preaching— you're listening to it disconnected from that church's gathered worship. Um, and there's something about the way that preaching is meant to fit into the context of worship. I enjoy listening to other preachers. I do throughout the week. I know many of you get your good sermon on Sunday morning from Charles Stanley, and then you show up uh, and you listen to me. That's okay. I can, you know, I can, I can handle that maybe. But, uh, you know, or you're listening to bot radio all week, and so you're hearing 20 sermons a week. There's a place for that. I don't mean to speak against that, but, but don't miss the relationship that's supposed to happen between gathered worship and the preaching of God's Word. 
access to all these sermons and all these podcasts is really a phenomenon that's very, very recent in the history, history of the church. And so we still have to work out how is that valuable and how does that actually end up hurting us in, in certain ways. So I'm not telling you to not go listen to other preachers. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we need to understand how, as God's people, we're supposed to receive the preaching of God's word and, and not disconnecting that too much from, from God's people gathering worship. Okay, that's a lot to say, only listen to me. But, um, how to listen to preaching. This is something that I think gets, gets lost a lot, but preaching is meant to have a cumulative effect, just like reading scripture, just like prayer. Uh, the effect of God's word in your life is probably not going to be seen necessarily Sunday to Sunday. It's going to be seen months at a time or years at a time. This is what I mean by every sermon not being a home run. Sometimes you go home, you're like, oh, man, that was great. And then to use the baseball analogy again, sometimes, you know, you dribbled the bunt down the third base line. And better. That's okay, though. It's cumulative. It builds up over time. That's the way that God's word, word works in our life. And when we live in a camp conference, everybody has to be entertained all the time. This cumulative thing gets lost because all I want is every week to be a home run sermon. I promise I try really hard every week, and sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but then you show up the next week with the same people, singing alongside them, praying for them during the week, hearing God's word again. Then you do it the next week, and before you know it, you start to see the, uh, we've used this illustration before, but I think it works really well. Uh, it's the idea that every morning when your kids wake up and come in, they don't necessarily look different than they did the day before. But when you look back at pages, I mean at pictures from a year ago or two years ago, you're like, oh my word, look at the way they've changed. You didn't see it day after day, but over time you see that change happening. That's how God's word uh, works in, in our lives. And then there at the bottom, as God's word works in our life, we're able to use it uh, to admonish and challenge one another and also to train ourselves up. Let's read those verses from Hebrews on the back, and then we've got to cut out because of, because of time. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 at the bottom of that paper. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. What's the sign of a mature Christian? The word of God is so worked in you that you're able to discern through practice, this is the way I should go or this is not the way that I should go. And, and you, it takes practice, it takes time, it builds up cumulatively and we're able to help one another through that process. So, All right, let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for uh, the gift, again, of being able to gather and worship, to be able to sing together, to pray for one another. God, thank you for those who volunteer and serve with our preschoolers and kids and teenagers, uh, those who are doing that on Sunday nights and Sunday mornings, making that investment as they're teaching God's word and putting that out there. Uh, Father, that we would be a people who meditate on your word. God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, uh, because our hearts are set on your good word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.